Who here knows what WAP means? So, I'm sorry, I never really know um, which weird internet memes have made their way into the mainstream consciousness. So, um, I, I just, I, I never know. Anyway, um, WAT is, uh, it's an internet meme, it's a reaction meme. And um, according to UrbanDictionary.com, which, by the way, should be every preacher's number one lexicographical resource. <laughs> WAT means the only proper response to something that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, example, if all the animals on the equator were capable of flattery, Halloween and Easter would fall on the same day. What? So, um, why are we talking about this? Go get to the next blank one there. Has anybody ever read the Bible? I mean, not like, you know, the little passages that we have here, but like, but actually read the Bible, like all of it. There's some weird stuff in here. I'm going to read something and then you're going to show the reaction. Huh? No. They're in order. This is from Deuteronomy 23. Those born of an illicit union shall not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Get ready. Next one. I mean, the poor bastard. He's not even allowed into church. Of course he knows nothing. What? It's weird. Okay, Deuteronomy 25. If men get into a fight with one another and the wife of one intervenes to rescue her husband from the grip of his opponent by reaching out and seizing his genitals, you shall cut off her hand. Show no pity. What? <laughs> okay, it's, it's not even just the Old Testament, right? Here's, here's the New Testament. So this one is from a couple of weeks ago. We're going through 1 Corinthians. Listen to this. Any man who prays or prophesies with something on his head disgraces his head, but any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled disgraces her head. It is one and the same thing as having her head shaved. For if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. For it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or to be shaved. She should wear a veil. For a man ought not to have his head veiled, since he is the image and reflection of God. But woman is the reflection of man. Indeed, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. For this reason, a woman ought to have the symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Oh. I mean, sometimes what doesn't even begin to cover it. Show me the next one. Like, I mean, what even is this? What am I looking at? Next one. Like, like, where do I even start trying to make sense out of this picture here? Yeah, the guy in a suit holding a sewing machine in front of the UPS truck falling into some water while some people talk, obviously. Like, how, how do you even begin to make sense out of this? <laughs> okay, it's... But here's the thing. It, uh, 
a competent Bible teacher would take the time and they would delve into the text. They'd give you the context. They'd help you understand what's going on. They'd probably even extract some sort of valuable lesson from that. That's not what you're going to get today. Um, I'm sorry, because it's not even just the random verses that are the true head scratchers. Like, let's, let's zoom out here and look at the big picture. The idea is that there's this God, right? And he's all-powerful, and he created the world. He created everything, and he's good. Now, he's not good, he's perfect. And he loves us, and he's active in this world. In fact, his son slash incarnated self um, rules at his right hand over all creation. And his Holy Spirit has been sent into our hearts and is working and living and active in this world. But this world's not that great. I mean, you look around. You see a lot of suffering. There's a lot of hate. A lot of death. I mean, this is the world where just a couple weeks ago in this city, a man got shot in his own apartment by the police. We're in a world where children get separated from their parents en masse. This world, virtue seems to be ignored. Evil seems to thrive. So you tell me all this wonderful stuff about God, and then you show me this world? It just doesn't make any sense. Some of you already know this because you, you walked with me through this, but two and a half years ago, my dad died. He was one month away from turning 63. Uh, one morning he got up, he drove himself to work, and everyone at work said, you don't look so good. You ought to like call the doctor. And so he ended up driving himself to the hospital. And two weeks later, he was dead. And there was a time during that two weeks where I found myself at home. I was by myself. I don't know why. It doesn't matter. I was, I was using that opportunity to just pray for my dad. And like I was really just pouring myself into it. Lots of emotion. And I was trying to like pray with faith and use like bold statements. Stuff like, God, I know you have the power to heal him. I know that you can do anything. I know that you love me. I know that you love him. Just like really trying to... And then I snapped. Because right there in that moment, I realized something. Like all of those actions just then, I had been acting as if like God had been away on a trip for a while. And he wasn't really aware of my father's condition. But, but he was, now that he was back and now that he was here and now that I've had a chance to talk to him, like he's powerful enough that he can get in there and he can do something about it. And that's when I realized it. He'd been there the whole time. He knew what condition my dad was in. He let him get to that point. Or, depending on how much you believe God's in control of the world, maybe he caused it to happen. And I snapped. And I was angry. I was furious. And I yelled some things at God that I immediately regretted. And I'm not, like, self-censoring here. I I don't remember what I said, but I remember the feeling that came right after it. Just being horrified at what I had yelled at God. So anyway, right there, 
in the midst of that pain and suffering and sorrow and stress that I was trying to process, back in there somewhere else was also confusion. It didn't make any sense. You're familiar with uh, Occam's razor? Right? It's this problem-solving principle that says that the simplest solution tends to be the right one. So you take the world as it is, and you look and you say, okay, well, we could have this discussion and get very philosophical and talk about God and the nature of God and his relationship to the world and what he can and can't do and how he acts and probably toss in some free will in there and, and, and figure all that out. And maybe you could put a case together. Or is it simpler to just say, maybe there's no God. It's turning out to be quite the gospel sermon, huh, Charles? <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, you look at all the evidence, you try to make sense out of it. I think from that perspective, it it's really is just simpler to not believe in God. This is a safe space, right? Yeah. Okay, good, because otherwise this could be awkward. <laughs> all right. So in 1 Corinthians 13, which is what I'm supposed to be talking about... <laughs> Paul says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now, I use a mirror every day. Um, When I look into a mirror, I believe that what I see is a faithful reproduction of what I look like. And I've verified this. I've been in a room before with another person and a mirror. And I can go back and forth from person to mirror. And it's incredible. The, the high fidelity reproduction of what that person looks like, it's just, it's one-to-one. I know that when I look in the mirror, what I see is 100% accurate. But the thing is, we live in, a, in an amazing age of advanced mirror technology. We have grown accustomed to these high fidelity HD reproductions of the real world, so it's very easy for us to forget that it was not always this way. See, 2,000 years ago, Mirrors, they weren't that great. It's, think of like, like really well-polished metal. Right? Have you ever looked at like a, a really nice platter that's been shined or um, maybe some chrome on a car or something that's really shiny and you can look at it and you see your reflection in it? I mean, you can, you can tell that it's your reflection, mostly. If you kind of squint a little bit and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of me. But you're not going to be using that to help you shave or like... You know, get something out of your teeth or whatever. It's fuzzy. And that's what Paul is saying in the Bible. He says, our understanding is like looking in one of these old mirrors. It's fuzzy. Fun fact, um, the Greek, which this is originally written in Greek, a literal word-for-word translation of this is, for now we see in a mirror riddle, which doesn't translate well. But it's like he's combining two different ways of saying that our perception, our reality, is confusing. And it doesn't make any sense. And that's the point. That's the point, right? We have the Apostle Paul in Scripture admitting that none of this makes any sense. It's like trying to look at a riddle through a really bad mirror. 
And I, I guess that's kind of comforting to read. Nothing makes any sense and, and we're supposed to be okay with that. Let's back up one verse. Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, I know that this is probably most likely just another analogy for the same concept. You used to get this, but one day it's going to make sense, whatever. But I've been thinking a lot about like our kids and the way that they think and the way that we teach them. Like right now, back over there, we've got different kids' classes going on. And what we're teaching them are not how to wrestle with vague notions of, of what God is and does things make sense, but very simple, overly redu- reduced, concrete things about God. God created the world. God loves you. God loves everyone, etc., right? Why do we do that? Well, kids do very well with concrete answers. Like, my son, I've talked to him about things, and he really just wants to boil it down to, okay, who are the bad guys and who are the good guys? Like, what, what's right, what's wrong? He doesn't want to wrestle with the concepts. Like, the spectrum of, of morality, the spectrum of things, like, that doesn't make any sense to him. Just, like, what's right and what's wrong? And when I look back on my own life, when I was a child, that's how I thought. Some things are right, some things are wrong. And as I grew up, and I started to learn more, Initially, I tried to continue to frame everything else in that context. Right and wrong and good and bad and yes and no. And like try to keep it very simple. You might say I thought like a child. And I reasoned like a child. But here today, at 36 years old, I have put the ways of absolute certainty behind me. Because I know it's not just as simple as good guys and bad guys. I know that there's these vague areas and trying to make trying to wrestle with and understand things and there are reasons and all kinds of other stuff. And yet, on some level, I don't like that. Like, I want, I want it to make sense the way that things used to make sense when I was a kid. But it doesn't. And Paul doesn't say, oh, don't worry, it's going to make sense. What he says uh, is, we're not going to get any knowledge or any understanding or any clarity right now. We don't get it. We can't have it. Okay, great. So what can we have? What is there? What, is there anything that we can have like right now? And he says, at the very end of this chapter, he says you get three things. You get faith, you get hope, and love. All right, let's, let's give it a shot. Faith. I like that word. the meaning of the word faith has just been completely absorbed by religion. Right? It's totally lost its meaning. In fact, it's even become a synonym for the word religion. Oh, are you a member of the faith? Is this a faith-based organization? Meaningless. So how about this word? Trust. That's a word that we use. That's a word that makes sense. I like this word. For example, Charles trusted me to prepare a lesson that didn't challenge and fundamentally question all of our core beliefs. <laughs> Why did he trust me? He's probably asking himself right now. Well, probably, I can't speak for him, but a few years ago, he and I sat down together and we prepared a lesson together that we, that we preached together. 
And then after that, I did one by myself and, and went back and forth with him for feedback and then presented it. And over the years, we've worked together and he began to trust me to do this on my own. His experience of working with me helped me to trust him. Okay, great. So, so we're supposed to trust God. How do we do that? Wasn't well, that what we're doing here? Like we come here and we sing all these songs about how great God is and how amazing he is and how he's done good things. Or we come over here and we have the bread and we have the juice and we say, this is a reminder of how God sacrificed himself for us. And then after that, we say, okay, what are we thankful for this week? We're looking back in our recent history going, what are some good things that happened? What are, what are some, some things that maybe God did something for us? Like we are trying really hard to reflect and to remind each other to trust God. Right? Like, isn't that what this is too? Like, the Bible is like, it's like a collection of stories over and over again about how God comes through for his people. He can come in and say, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Trust me. Here's my resume. Okay. I guess I could give that a shot. And that, that, that question right there brings up a very important element of this. Trust is a choice. I can choose whether or not I trust somebody. I can trust someone because of the evidence, right? Like, like Charles and me, like, uh, we've seen all this, we've done all this, we've worked together, yeah, I got, he's got it, right? Or I could trust someone in spite of the evidence. You might call that being naive. But it's a choice that I get to make. Hope. So trust and hope. Okay, this one I can get on board with a little bit better. That big picture story that I mentioned about God earlier, like that he's all powerful and that he loves us and that he's going to come back and he's going to make all things new. And he's going to heal our broken hearts and he's going to get rid of all that is evil and corrupt and broken, even death itself. That, that is very appealing to me. I hope that's true. But I think this is more than just like wishing something were true. Like, I wish I had a million dollars right now. I don't actually think that there's a chance that a million dollars is just going to appear in my hand right now. I'll tell you this, there was this one time, shortly after I turned 18, I went and I bought a lottery ticket. And I remember that it was, I went camping, and it was like a week-long backpacking trip. So I was away from radio and TV, news, all that stuff for a while. And so for that period of time, as far as I knew, I could have won the jackpot. And I was naive enough... <laughs> To actually consider it. And I remember spending a decent part of that trip like daydreaming about how I'm going to spend this money. It's like, I'm going to get back and it's going to be this. And I'm going to be kind of responsible with some of this. So I can still have fun and do some of these things. And <laughs> Hope is a risk, right? If you get your hopes up, you risk being disappointed. Like trust, hope is a choice. I can choose to hope for something. I can choose to hope for something that has a lot of evidence behind it. I can choose to hope for something in spite of it. Trust, hope, and love. And i got to say, that's a really strange one to be in this list. 
Now, those of you that grew up Christians, you might not think much about it, but let's look at it. In, in, right? Because you hear, oh, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Right? But go back and look at the context. Paul just got finished saying, nothing makes any sense. Right? Your prophecies, they're incomplete. Your knowledge, it's incomplete. You don't understand anything. But in the meantime, here's what you have. You have trust. Okay? It doesn't make sense, but trust God. We'll get you through. Hope. All right, I get that one. Things look bad, but you still have hope. And love. What's love got to do with it? Got to do, got to do, got to do with this. All right. So Paul actually says a lot about love in this chapter, which is probably what Charles thought I was going to spend most of my time talking about. Um, And let's look at that. But first, here's a quick reminder. This was originally written in Greek. And the process of translating from Greek to English, it's not as straightforward as you might imagine. Um, Sometimes you just get weird phrases, like before when I said, in a mirror, riddle. Like, it just doesn't translate well, so you have to make a decision. Other times, you have words in Greek that don't really have a true English counterpart. So the Greek used in the Bible has five different words that all get translated into the one English word, love. And each one, each use of that word, each different word has some sort of different take on it, some extra meaning that, if you're not aware of it, just kind of gets washed away. For example, there's phileo, brotherly love. right? The love that you have for someone with whom you share something in common. Or eros, romantic love. Right? This is the, I fell in love. Well, the word used here in this chapter by Paul is agape. And that describes an unconditional love. Now, think about that for just a minute. Love with no conditions. Not love because we have something in common. Not love because we're attracted to each other. Just love. No because. No reason. Like trust and like hope before it, this love is a choice. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That sounds wonderful. It also sounds hard. It's also still weird to be on the list with with the things to help you fill the knowledge gap. Trust, hope, and love. And Paul even admits that love doesn't really belong on the same list with trust and hope. But it's not for the reason that I said. Because what he says is that the greatest of these is love. But in that context, for filling in this gap, why is love the greatest? Why is it so great? Let me read you something from 1 John. He talks a lot about love in this book. And one of the things that he says is this. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, because of my high school English teachers, I get triggered every time I see the B verb in a sentence. Because I was taught that that's lazy writing. And I can just imagine my English teacher sitting with John as he's writing this letter and going, wouldn't it really be better to say something like God shows love or God expresses love or God exudes love? But that's not what he says. And I don't think he's using the B verb here out of laziness. Because look at, look at it again. He doesn't say God is loving. It doesn't say God is lovable or that God is lovely. He says God is love, is as in equals, as in you could substitute the word God for the word love in a sentence and the meaning of the sentence doesn't change. So if we choose to love each other unconditionally, And if God equals love, then when we love, there's God. Victor Hugo in Les Miserables says it this way. To love another person is to see the face of God. This is huge. No wonder Paul put this on the list. Like, I'm over here complaining about nothing makes any sense. There's no, the evidence doesn't line up. I can't see anything about God. And here comes Paul saying, look, every time you show love to another person, that is God. The teachers back there with their kids right now, they are loving those kids by choice. (laughs) That's God. The group of us that are going to go down to the Pride Parade later today and offer hugs to people who have in the past been rejected from most churches, people they don't know, unconditional love, that right there, that is God. So when I was looking at this thing, I had the first part of the lesson figured out. It's like, yeah, obviously, nothing makes sense. In a mirror mirror dimly, I get that. But I've been scratching my head with the whole thing going, what's the point of this? Like, where where does this go? And, And here it is, right? We get to choose. We can choose to love other people unconditionally. It's hard, but it's a choice that we can make. And we can do this every day. Anytime you interact with another person. And now we know God literally is love. And so when we love, there is God. We talk about wanting to see God break into this world. We talk about wanting to see his kingdom come into this world. That's it. When you love, there is God. We unleash this good and beautiful God that we so desperately want to believe in. We unleash him onto this world when we love. I don't have the certainty. I don't have the answers. It doesn't make any sense. And that still irritates me. And I still struggle with that because I really wish that it did. But I guess I can grab onto these things. I can choose to trust. It's gotten me so far. I'll stick with it. 
I can choose to hope because it does make it a little bit easier to deal with some things. And if I choose to love, I get to see God. That really is the greatest gift. You pray with me? God, we thank you for your love. I really wish everything made any sense. Some sense. So help us to trust you. Help us to continue to hope. And enable us to love. To love unconditionally the way that only you can. So that we can see you active in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.